All right, we are doing uh, part four of the series right now, and uh, our Saturday night six o'clock service, as I'm preaching online, uh, is staying to hear part four, and we so appreciate that. And uh, I just want to say again to the six o'clock service, thank you for being able to do this. I'm so glad that you uh, are flexible. If some of you stayed from the 4:30, uh, good for you. Uh, we're glad that you did it. I do see a few people that stayed. Uh, it's 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 been a great series. Proximity has been something that God has just been on me and working on me, and uh, I just, I just can't shake it. I, I have so many sermons from this, and the series is only so long. And even as people are like, "Well, why don't you extend the series?" and I'm like, "You know, it's Easter next week. Can't move Easter, you know." So we're gonna maybe do a part two to proximity, but we're gonna pick it up where we left off in part three, and. Uh, I, I, was, I ended with this point of proximity implies responsibility. Proximity implies responsibility. And I shared an incredible story about a man that is willing to die for his faith and willing to die amongst a people group that doesn't know Christ. And he's willing to die because he said they've never seen a follower of Jesus Christ. And if I'm in proximity to them, it implies some responsibility. And I'm willing to stay and die here rather than receive treatment because I want them to see how a follower of Jesus Christ dies. That's an incredible, incredible realization that proximity implies responsibility. Now, a scripture that just jumped out at me, a story that jumped out at me when I grabbed this for proximity. Remember, I read this last year. I'm reading the Bible, understanding proximity. Luke chapter 16, there's a story of a rich man and a poor man, okay? And in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story. Uh, in verse 19, he says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So Jesus is telling this story about a rich man and a poor man. And it's interesting, I don't believe Jesus wastes a single detail in this story. They're there for a reason, okay? So he talks about a rich guy, and he says, this rich guy was wearing purple and fine linen. This guy was wearing the best clothes money could buy. He was wearing clothes that were equal to months and years of wages where people were trying to just get by. So Jesus is trying to say this guy was in the 1%. And as we've said before, we are the 1% of the world. You may not be 1% in the United States, but you're 1% of the world. So Jesus is saying, this guy is a one percenter. This guy eats fine food. He lives in luxury every day, okay? And he's eating gourmet food, exotic food. This guy, according to the way that the passage is written, is eating meat every day. He even says it's every day. And again, I don't think Jesus does it and, and, and misses it. He's trying to say that even on the Sabbath day, when this guy should have been worshiping, he's eating fine foods every day. This guy's all about himself. He's spending it all on himself. So you get the picture. And he's, he's saying that this guy is there and, and, and it's, it's wrong what he's doing and they both die. 
He says when they die, they get to uh, the holding place and they're waiting for judgment. And in this moment, the rich guy says, oh no, I, I, I can, that's Lazarus, the poor guy that I, that I walked by, that I, that I saw. Is there any way, because it looks like he's really enjoying paradise and I'm not enjoying this. I'm hot, apparently. Uh, he's describing this, like it's not good. And he says, could he, the poor guy that I recognized that was outside my gate of my house, could he dip his fingers in water and just bring a little bit to me because this is miserable where I'm at? So Jesus is telling the story. And then Jesus goes on and, and just is talking about this parable that this guy's like, is there any way that, that he could go back and warn my brothers that I was living wrong and he was living right and that he's in the good side and I'm in the bad side? Is there any opportunity for you to, to send him back to, to the, my brothers? And, and in the parable, it's like, no, they won't believe him. They had the prophets and if they see him, they still won't believe it. It's an amazing thing, and there's, there's implied in here that there's something wrong with this rich guy, and there's something right with the poor guy. And it's not just because the guy was rich, and that guy was poor. It's not the message like, we all need to be poor to be right with God. Here's what was going. His sin was not that he was mean. He was never mean to the poor guy. He was never mean. We don't have anything in the story that says he was mean. His, his sin was this, that he made the poor guy part of the landscape, that he just ignored him that God put a poor guy on his doorstep and he did nothing for the poor guy. Now, proximity implies responsibility, and so that means to me that the people around us that God has placed on our doorstep, whether they're poor, our family, our neighbors, our, our coworkers, our, our people at school, there's, there's something that we cannot make them part of the landscape. We cannot just say, we're going to go on with our life and buy our stuff and go to the mall and have our car and do our things and forget about the people that God has placed in proximity to us. And it's interesting, the rich man saw the need of Lazarus and he does nothing about it. He just goes on and does. And, and in the story, he's condemned because he doesn't do anything for the person that was right near him. No one else is mentioned. It doesn't say, and he saw all the poor of the city that were there. And they all tormented, no, the guy that was near him. And so it's implied that the people that are near you, you have a responsibility for. You have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to the poor that live around this church. We have a responsibility to the people that don't know Jesus around this church. We have a responsibility. And you say, well, uh, do I have a responsibility to the people over in India? I think we do in some way that we can send them money and our missionaries and our pastors that are there. Some of us can get on a plane and go there, but not all of us can do that. But we all have an implied responsibility with proximity to the people that are right near us. Now, here's a lie that the enemy does. The enemy says, well, there's so many poor people. There are so many people that don't know Jesus. How will we reach them all? What can we do? And because the overwhelming number of them numbs us, then he causes us to make them into landscape and we ignore them. And here's all Jesus is saying, can you reach one? Can you reach the lost person that I put right next door to you? Can you invite them over for dinner? Can you reach the lost person that I put in the cubicle next to you? Can you take some responsibility to invite them to church, to bring them to the things of God? Can you take responsibility? Instead of thinking, wow, this company's so big, how will I get all these people here? How can I get one person? 
how can I help one family? How can I help the people around me? How can this church help a certain number? And if all of us start reaching them, all of a sudden we can reach so many more and the world can be reached that way. Because there are billions of followers of Jesus Christ around this world, and I really believe this, that God has strategically located them in their neighborhoods, their workplace, the school, their family, their city, and God says, I want you to reach them. I want you to take care of them. I don't want you to be focused only on you. I believe the rich guy was like, I got all the blessings for me. It's all about me. All the blessings are for me. It's for me, for me, for me. And God's like, I made you a blessing to be a blessing to everyone around you. I've made a blessing for you. I've given you all these blessings so you can be a blessing to them and bless and bless and bless and bless. And we need to realize that and not just consume all of it on ourselves. And uh, I've been thinking about that illustration with the secondhand smoke. I've just been saying, God, give me so many blessings that I keep 15% of, of every blessing you give me and I give away 85% because we said a uh, smoker will only keep 15% of their smoke and 85% goes out to everyone else. And I'm like, okay, God, as you give me blessings, let me just have that same ability to just keep giving and giving and giving and saying, God, I will be a blessing to the people you put in proximity to me. It also carries with it that responsibility to go. Don't forget, we'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. Some of you say, well, that's why I only care for the people around me, all right? No, there's still implied also that we can go, that many of us are able to go. All right, another thing here. Now, uh, third point of the sermon, which is a continuation. Proximity blesses those around us more than we think. And I, and, I, and I just, I know we've been saying this over and again, that there's proximity blessing, it's on us, it's in us, it's oozing out of us, and it's there. But I just had to show you this story and then contrast it with another one. Because this one, as I was studying this last year, just jumped off the pages. In Acts chapter 27, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's going to be worth it. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures here. In Acts chapter 27, we see the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is heading to Italy. He's heading to Rome. He's appealed to Caesar. He wants to have a day in court because he wants to talk about the charges that have been brought against him. Now, it's interesting. The Holy Spirit has been causing people to prophesy and say, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get arrested, and then you're going to be sent to Rome, and you're going to die. And he's like, then that's what I'm doing because that's where God wants me to go. He wants me to go in proximity. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to get there to get arrested, to get sent to Rome. And if God wants me to die, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go do it. So talk about obedience. He's like the missionary that we're talking about. I'm called to do this. And it's so interesting that so many of us are like, God, do you have another plan that's safer? I'd like a lesser proximity, you know, uh, you know, and so I want to stay here. But Paul doesn't do that. So Paul knows that he's going to witness, that he's ultimately going to die. The Holy Spirit has been prophesying this over his, his life. And people have come up. One guy took, you know, like uh, cords and said, you're going to be bound. You're going to be beaten. You're going to die. And he's like, I'm still going to fulfill my mission. God has called me to be in proximity and to use my citizenship. Isn't that interesting? I'm going to use my citizenship to come in proximity to a ruler so they can hear the truth. And ultimately, I know I'm going to die. Think about that. And again, we just say, I don't want to use my citizenship to, you know, die or have any harm at all. But Paul's willing to do that. Now, in Acts chapter 27, there's a, a, a storm coming up, but all of a sudden the weather breaks and Paul says, guys, we, we shouldn't go. It's a bad storm. We shouldn't go. And they say, no, it's good weather. We're going to break for it. We're going to go for it. We're going to try it. It's winter. We know, but we think there's a change in the weather and we're going to go. 
And so they go to do this, and the storm starts to get worse. It's getting horrible. And in Acts chapter 27, picking up in in verse 22, the storm's been going for a while now. And this is what Paul says. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all the people who sail with you. You talk about proximity. We're going to crash this baby. But the God I serve needs me to get to Rome. And so you all get to live. I mean, he's ultimately saying, the rest of you can die. I'm pretty important. I'm a big deal. All right. You know, I mean, think about it. But in that moment, they are all being saved because of the proximity to Paul. There's such a blessing. There's such a mission on Paul's life. And ultimately, he's going to die. But in this moment, everyone is spared because they're on the same boat with Paul. That is powerful proximity. Now, let me contrast this with Jonah. If you're not familiar, the story of Jonah in the Old Testament, Jonah is called to go to Nineveh. He doesn't want to go. He wants to go the other way. And he gets on a ship in the same waters that Paul is in, matter of fact. So he's in the same sea, same area. He's heading away. I'm getting out of here. And in that moment, Jonah is sinning. And the storm comes upon the water, and instead of him saying, hey, because you're with me, you're all safe, Jonah says, hey, because you're with me and I'm sinning, you're all dead. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Now, let me just contrast this for a a minute with proximity. Paul, obeying the voice of God, brings everyone into blessing because of proximity. Jonah, disobeying the things of God, brings everyone into disaster and proximity to death because he's disobeying. Now, just think about this. When we sin, do we sin alone? You may be in your room with your computer all by yourself with no one else there sinning, but do you really sin alone? Or does your sin have a proximity to it that affects your family? that affects your marriage. You may think your sin is no big deal. It's just profanity. It's not that big of a deal. After all, you're going to heaven, and it's no big deal. God's okay with a few swear words here and there. But does your proximity to you, your neighbors living close to you, hear your profanity and cause them to be one step closer to death because they think the things of God are phony? I don't think we sin alone. I don't think we sin alone, and I don't think we understand the proximity of our sin. And I think that we should be living lives of holiness to bring glory and honor to our Heavenly Father, but we should be living lives of holiness and bringing forth fruit, much fruit. The fruit of the Spirit that's listed in the New Testament is there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things are there so those in proximity to us can benefit from them and be drawn to the kingdom of God, not repelled. And so Paul challenges the church to add to your faith. Get these things in you. Grow. Let the fruit of God grow. Be more like Jesus. Be formed to his image so that the more you're formed in his image, the fruit of the Spirit grows in you. Others see it and benefit from it. So stop excusing away our sins. Let's realize that we want to live in proximity to our neighbors and pursue a life of holiness and and God-honoring fruit of the Spirit so that they'll be drawn to Jesus, not repelled, because the people on the boat with Jonah were like, let's just throw them over. 
And then they were safe. How sad would it be if God said, you know what? I had to move you out of that neighborhood because your proximity effect on all your neighbors was sending them to hell. So I needed you to move so I could put a different person in there. And once you got out of the way, all your neighbors got saved. Wouldn't that be sad? It'd be horrible. I'd rather be like Paul, like everybody in this neighborhood is blessed because I'm here. This neighborhood was going to hell until I got Now God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. God's got something for you. All right, so Paul's got that. He's, he's, he's got something going on because in verse 30 and 31 of the same chapter, it says, in an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they're going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with this ship, they cannot be saved and you cannot be saved. Now think about it. We got Paul, prisoner, and we've got wise sailors, and they're trying to lower the lifeboat. And the centurion could have said, me and the few sailors that fit in the lifeboat are out of here. I trust them. Or I'm staying on the ship with you, prisoner, kind of crazy guy. <laughs> Think about it. There must have been something on Paul that was oozing out of him spiritually that a leader could look at him and go, I trust you. Cut the ropes. Cut the ropes. And if you've, if you've noticed this, there's something about this, and it's a whole other sermon that I could develop, but it seems like leaders have the ability to recognize the proximity on, of blessing on people. Joseph's in prison. The jailer's like, you got something on you. You're in charge. Pharaoh's like, you got something on you. You're in charge. There's a blessing. And it seems like there's something intuitive that leaders have where they can bless it. And the centurion's like, I trust the prisoner. Cut the ropes. Do you have so much of God on you? Do we have so much of God? Me too. That do we have so much of God on us that our boss would say, I trust that. We're going there. We're going there. There's a blessing on that person. I trust them. Or are we like, mm, there's something on him. So the storm's going on. And then in verse 34, Paul says, I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. I mean, it's an amazing thing. In this moment, God is saving all these people and Paul's encouraging them. He's pastoring the boat. He's pastoring all the people there and he's ministering to them. Here's some food. Take it. Be encouraged. You're going to live. God's got a plan for you. He's like Joel Osteen on the boat. You know, your best life is out of you. Come on. You know, think about it. That just came to me. Um, <laughs> David G. Peterson in his book, The Acts of the Apostles, writes this. He said, because Paul must testify for Christ in Rome, the entire ship is spared. Further, Paul uses the peril to pastor the others on the ship. He brings them encouragement. He takes care of their physical needs, and he turns their thoughts to God. Think about that. He is ministering, and as we go into our community, into our workplace, into our school, we can pastor the people that are around us and we can help them and turn their thoughts towards God. He continues and he says this, Christians may indeed bring benefit to a community that arises from or is incidental to the preaching of the gospel. Those who know the saving purpose of God should be seeking to express his character and will in all that they say and do. They should be encouraging unbelievers to turn to God for deliverance and help in a whole range of everyday situations. 
They should be seeking the peace and prosperity of the people among whom they live, the righting of wrongs, and deeds that glorify God. This may include deliverance from injustice or poverty, rescue from social or political structures, impeding, impeding the genuine welfare of citizens, and physical and emotional healing. We should be on an mission saying, I am in proximity to you. God has me as your neighbor for some reason. I don't know what it is. And instead of being mad at them for being your neighbor, maybe God's like, I have you in proximity to them so you'll mow their lawn. Instead of complaining about them not mowing their lawn, I have you there because mowing the lawn didn't cost that much. And that might just lead them into the kingdom. We should be looking for opportunities. We should be serving in our city. And we should be doing like Paul. Paul's in a crisis and he's still ministering to them. And then it says, the soldiers, in verse 42, planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get, on their, get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. It's exactly what Paul said. He said, because you're in proximity to me, God's got it. He's going to take care of you. We're all going to be okay. We're all going to make it. And the story ends amazingly. And it just shows like amazing how strong it is, how powerful it is, how amazing that the people around us can be blessed by the proximity on us if we'll be intentional about it. I heard this story. Somebody was in church last week and they said, I thank God for proximity. And I don't know who this person is, but I heard the, the testimony from one of our pastors. They said, I was dating a girl and uh, she, we're not dating anymore, but she brought me to church at River Valley. And because of the proximity of dating her, I came here and I gave my life to Jesus. My whole world has been changed. I'm now living for Jesus. I'm on fire for him. I have eternity. And it's all because I was around her and asked her on a date and then she doesn't even like me anymore. How cool is that? I mean, <laughs> that's proximity. Now, now, do you have a list of people that could say, you won't believe it, I was a neighbor to them, and they invited me, and now my whole life has changed. I was in the cubicle next to them, and I can't believe it, and, and they pastored me, and, and now I'm here. I was their neighbor, I was their coworker, I was in school with them, I was in their, you know, and next thing you know, my whole life has been changed. Who has God put on your ship? And so they're yours to take care of, pastor them. Who's in your proximity? And he says, pastor them. I hope you'll invite someone to church next week. Many of you will not take the time to do that. It's not trying to be condemning. But we have the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Can we invite people to church? Can we do it? Can we take advantage of days that people are really receptive and say, yeah, come with me? Can we pass out an invite card? Can we trust the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us? Man, just come. Come and see what I've experienced. All right, last point in these two sermons. It all goes back to this. It's proximity to meet the blesser. And I couldn't leave out this story because it just grabbed me. In John chapter 4, I'm going to read several verses. So again, if you have your Bibles, turn to me there. The whole thing of the proximity blessing, the whole thing about Jesus planting the Spirit of God in you, on you, oozing it out of you, oozing it. Matter of fact, think about this. I don't have time. This is another sermon that I just left uh, uh, alone and I won't even get to. But John chapter 7 Jesus says, rivers of living water will flow out of you, okay? 
He said, not, he doesn't say, you know what, I'm so good and I'm gonna bless you and you're just gonna be so good and you're gonna be so blessed in me. He's like, you're gonna be so blessed in me, rivers of living water are gonna flow out of you to other people. That's how much blessing you have. And I've given you blessings so it'll be on you and flow out of you to others. I mean, think about that. How powerful is that? But in John chapter four, here's another story of the proximity to meet the blesser. John chapter four, starting in verse three. So he, that being Jesus, left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he went to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Verse 8, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. It's an amazing story that's going on here. Let me break it down for you for just a moment in proximity. Again, it all is about getting back to the blesser. North was Galilee. South was Judea. In the middle was Samaria. And Jewish people did not go through Samaria. They only went through if they absolutely had to because they had a 400-year-long feud going on with the people that lived in that region. The problem was the people in that region had married people that were locals and didn't stay true to just staying in the Jewish faith. And so they kind of had intermarried. And so the Jewish people were like, how dare you do that? Matter of fact, if somebody left the Jewish faith, his, their family would actually have a funeral for them saying, you know, they left the Jewish faith, they're gone, they're dead to us. And they'd actually do this. So you've got this region here that no good Jewish person would walk through unless they absolutely had to because the Samaritans would even taunt them and throw things at them. But Jesus decides we're going to go through this area. Now, it, this caused it to be a three-day trip instead of a six-day trip. It would be a six-day trip because he'd have to go around Jordan, around Samaria, and come around and do that. So he's on a three-day trip. Now, you're thinking, expediency, Jesus was in a hurry. Okay, don't miss the point. It's all about proximity. It's all about proximity in this moment. He's saying, I'm going through there because I am going to show you what God is all about. The disciples are thinking, God is a selective God that wants to stay away from people. And Jesus is saying, God is an inclusive God that wants his message to go to everybody. The disciples are thinking, we're better than them. And Jesus is trying to remind them, the only reason you're good is because God picked you. You didn't do anything to deserve being picked. And so he's getting ready to, to show his disciples all these things about proximity. And so he's, he's letting his disciples know things are about to change here. After I leave this earth, things are really going to change. And I'm giving you a few lessons here because he, he most likely would have never gone through the region. He really wouldn't have stopped. 
He wouldn't have sent his disciples to go get food. Can you imagine that? He's like, I'm going to sit down here. You guys go get some food. And they're like, seriously, Lord, do you know where we are? Go get food. He's letting them know proximity is changing everything. Jesus is coming into the whole world to bring the message of hope to everyone. And then he never, ever, ever would have talked to a woman. And he breaks the rules. He's breaking the rules of proximity right here. Of it, people are using proximity and saying, let's stay away from them. And Jesus is like, no, take what you've got and bring it to them. Right. So now he's talking to a woman. Matter of fact, they wouldn't even talk to a woman so much so that there was a Pharisee group that was called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. That if they were walking down the street and they even saw a woman, they'd just shut their eyes. I don't want to say, and they'd run into things and they'd be bruised and bleeding because they don't even want to see a woman. Okay, so get the context. Yeah. And Jesus is like, can you get me a drink? And she's like, whoa, you, uh, do, do you know? And it was at noon and so it's implied a little bit that she must have been a bad lady because all the other ladies went in the morning. She waits to the afternoon and so people won't heckle her. And we know from the story later on that she's been married multiple times. So she probably was a lady that was looked at as an outcast of their own community. And so Jesus is like, not only am I stopping in this place and getting this and getting the food, talking to a woman, I'm talking to like the worst woman in town. I mean, he is breaking the rules and showing the kingdom of God is coming to everyone. Somebody needed to hear that right now. You needed to hear that. The kingdom of God comes to you no matter how bad you are. You're not too far out. If a church looked down on you, that was the wrong thing for them to do. Nobody's, nobody's there because they're any good. Any goodness that we bring to God is only the goodness he put in us. That's it. Okay? So anybody that looks clean and tidy and nice and smells good, it's only because of the grace of God. That's it. So he's talking to the worst of the worst. And in the midst of this, she's like, I, I want this water. I like, I like what you're saying. She's feeling something with the proximity of being next to the Savior. I want this water. I want running water. He's like, it's not about that. It's about a life with me. It's about forgiveness. It's about joy. It's about peace. And she's like, I want in on this. I want in. So this lady gets in on the promise of God, and she meets the blesser. Think about that. She meets the blesser. And what does she do? Because she's been blessed, and she's met Jesus, and now has this hope in her, she runs to her town and invites all of her friends to meet the blesser. That's what you're supposed to do. You are blessed to be a blessing. You are blessed to bring people to the blesser. And incidentally, think about this. The people that were friends with the worst lady in town got saved that day. Think about it. They're like, oh, you can't believe you're friends with that person. I can't believe you live in that neighborhood. I can't believe you talk to them. I can't believe you work there. I can't believe all. And yet all those people get in on the grace of God and the people that look good miss out. Wow, what a turnaround. God loves to turn it around. And through proximity, he says, I take everyone and I bring them into forgiveness. And grace is all about proximity. We'll bring it to the least of these. We'll bring it to them. And then I pray that they'll go out and tell all their friends and bring them into proximity to the blesser. So as we close this, we've got to realize the blessings are to get people to the blesser. And we need to realize that God has placed people into our life and he wants them to be in proximity to us so we can bring them the blessing. I didn't have time to develop this. This is another one of the sermons that I just left off the table. But I believe God wants you to be in topical discipleship. What do I mean by that? Like topical ointment. He wants you to be in discipleship by being around the followers of Jesus Christ. That's why you're supposed to be in a life group. 
supposed to be there because you're supposed to be discipled by being in proximity to other people. And there's good they're supposed to speak into your life. There's good you're supposed to speak into their life. And he wants you to help people to be disciples of his by being around them. And you can rub off it on them. Man, on your softball team or your, whatever you're into, your hobby, I pray that you're rubbing off on them and they're not pulling you down. But you're actually discipling people by them being on the ship with you. And you're rubbing off on them because the power of God is stronger in you. So I'm praying that you'll grab hold of this. But who has God placed in proximity to you so they can meet the blesser? And the last thing is, what blessings has God given you so you can be a blessing to others? Please, please, please use those blessings to help people to meet the blesser. Keep some, enjoy the things that God has given you. I'm not saying we all have to sell everything and have one pair of shoes and whatever, but I'm saying, can we live a life that says, how much more of what I have, not just money, but time and all the things that you've given to me, giftings. Can I use my giftings not just to make this company rich, but can I use my giftings to make this church more effective, to reach my neighbors, to be better in the community? Can I use my finances? What blessings has he given you so you can give out, have it ooze out of you so people can meet the blesser? So God, I pray right now that you'd help us to live that way. Springs of living water flowing up in us. Like John 7 says, Rivers of living water flowing out of us so it'd just be a flood of blessing on people around us. I pray that people would say, I want to be in proximity to Christians because they are so life-giving. They are so full of grace. They are so generous. They are so kind. They are so loving. Man, they know that we stink, but they still love us anyways. And I pray that they wouldn't just want to have the blessings around them, but they'd ultimately, Lord Jesus, be drawn to the blesser. So help us, Lord. Help us to live a life that enjoys the blessings of God and introduces people to the blesser. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.